Amen. Good morning. I just realized, I came to a realization sitting on the front row um, that I can actually move this, adjust this mic thing so you won't hear my beard scratching anymore. Lord willing, okay? And it was either that, and I just remember, I was like, oh, it stretches over my big noggin, okay? And so it was either that or me, I was going to shave a, like a, a hole in my beard. And um, we're a work in progress, folks. I'm a work in progress, all right? So just wanted you to know that. We're in Acts 2 today. We're talking about the coming of the Holy Spirit. I had a lot of caffeine, and I'm ready to go, okay? I hope you are. So I want you to think about this. You have those friends. Maybe you've been blessed with friends like this in life that no matter how long or how far you've been away from them, you can... But you just pick up the phone and call them, and you go right back into the friendship like nothing ever happened. I have a roommate from my roommate in college is one of my best friends. His name is Dan. You've heard some of my Dan stories before. If you were here early on when we first was, were coming here, um, Dan was the guy who got the highlighter on him. If you don't know about this, ask later, okay? Um, so Dan is just, we lived like feet from each other. Okay. And you either going to hate the person we were in college, we live in this dormitory. You're either going to hate that person. or going to become like best friends. Thankfully we became best friends and we were, we lived in this little tiny shoebox apartment that was orange and blue and green, like on the outside, uh, right in, right down by, uh, the university of Florida. And I can pick up the phone today and it's like, we never have been away from each other. I call him, and we go, right, I, hear, I see some nods. You got friends like that? And it's the joy knowing them. You're going to laugh at stuff that you, you're going to laugh in ways you hadn't laughed before. Isn't that a great feeling when you get done laughing after, when, you, when you're really with a good group of people and you really enjoy knowing somebody, and you get done, you get done seeing them, and you're like, you're kind of sore a little bit from laughing, and your face is hurting from grinning, and you're like, that was awesome. Anybody? Yeah. That, that is, that is a, a foretaste of what it is. It's just a little bit of what it is to actually know God. And it is quite amazing that the God of the universe is knowable because he decided to come in Christ for us and to make a people of his own possession. That we were once lost and dead in our sin, but now we can know God. And knowing God, if those of us who know him, we could say it is the best, it's the highest, it's the, it's, it's, it's the apex of life is knowing God. God. And we've seen throughout our study in the story, we've studied how the world is like it is, and we studied the storyline of the Bible. God created, man fell in sin, uh, but God brought redemption about through a family, through a people, Israel, and then ultimately through Christ. And now it's our job as the church, those who have been brought out of darkness into light, called out ones, ecclesia, church, the ones who have been called out of darkness into light, to go and to, to, be, to be ambassadors for Jesus, to tell everyone about the fact that we can know God through Christ. Now there's a new covenant passage in the Old Testament, Jeremiah, I want you to hear this. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days. This is Jeremiah 31, declares the Lord. And it's talking about the time when Christ comes. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts. And I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each of his neighbors and each of his brother go on saying, Know the Lord. For they shall know me from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sins no more. That is what Christ has come to bring with the coming of the Holy Spirit. 
Jesus says, he said in Acts chapter one, which we looked at last time, he said, I want you to go and, and be my witnesses. When the Holy Spirit comes, you'll go and you'll be my witness in Judea or in Jerusalem, Judea, I'm getting this wrong. Yes, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the world. I want you to do that. Until the Holy Spirit comes, I want you to wait. So pick up in Acts chapter two, verse one, here's exactly what happens. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. You know what they were doing? Simply obeying Jesus. You know what he said? Wait. So you know what they did? They waited. Sometimes it's not really that hard to be obedient, <laughs> right? Wait. Okay. <laughs> and they waited, and they were praying. <laughs> That's what sometimes all you got to say to God. Wait. Okay. All right? Yes, God. And so with the, here's the, here's, let me set the scene for you, though. They're waiting in this upper room more likely than not. That's where they are. They're in the upper room. They're waiting. The people, definitely the 11 disciples plus one, they added another one, Matthias, who had seen Jesus. That's in Acts chapter one, if you want to go check that out. So they're up there. The, probably um, Jesus' mother and some other folks are with, with them up in the upper room, maybe as many as 120 folks, more. It, it, we don't know exactly, but there's all of those ones who had seen, witnessed Jesus' earthly ministry are there waiting for the Holy Spirit. Why? Because he told them to. The day of Pentecost is important. It means 50. 50. Why did they just say that? Well, because it's, it's actual time. It's a festival. They celebrate it as the Feast of Weeks. You know why they call it that? It's seven weeks from the time of Passover. They celebrate this festival called Pentecost. It's also called the Feast of First Fruits. It's called the, the Festival of Weeks. You know why? Seven days in a week, right? You're following me, right? Seven days in a week, seven weeks. So a week of weeks is 49 days. On the 50th day, they celebrate Pentecost. Pentecost happened around May, June. It was the perfect weather to go. I was in Gatlinburg recently. There's 30, the population, I was getting this, we were riding that little rail thing down, you know, the Obergatlinburg thing, you ever seen that before? We're riding that down and the guy has given us some like some tourist facts and he said there's only 3,900 people that live in that area, like in Gatlinburg. But here's the, here's the crazy thing, they have enough hotel rooms for over 300,000 people. Wow, right? And I just, I just got to thinking, see, Jerusalem would have been crowded as the streets of Gatlinburg, if not more so, for this festival. It was the perfect time of year, like it was spring break. There were people everywhere. Oh, my goodness. If you've, if you've ever been to Gatlinburg, the, the traffic never ends. It's like a seemingly endless line of cars. It never ends, and they always want to hit you. I think they're like, well, I want to I hit that guy. I don't know if like, it's in, in regression. I'm on vacation. We're going to have a good time. This guy's getting in my way. He's walking towards Bubba Gump. I'm going to hit him. Okay, I want to get there before him. I mean, I guess it's like it's, it gets odd. And so I want you to get this. The day of Pentecost is important because it would have been, these streets of Jerusalem would have been packed with, with people from all over the country because this was one of the three festivals in Judaism that, they, that they, the requirement or the, the the directive was given for them, for people, the pilgrims, the Jewish pilgrims, to come to Jerusalem and celebrate this religious festival. And so the streets are full, and it's the day of Pentecost, and then what are they doing? They're in the room, and they're waiting. What are they doing? Obeying Jesus. Now look in verse 2. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like, it's very important, like, okay? Sound like a mighty rushing wind. Why did I say like's important? These are going to these use like and as are going to be used several times because Luke has this Luke who's the writer of Acts has this really difficult task. It's to describe 
who God is using earthly images and pictures and words. And God is so great. And this is a work, a manifestation of God. And he is using the best words he can to get this out. So he says this, and we're waiting in that upper room. It's the day of Pentecost. It's been a week of weeks. Feast of first fruits. Jerusalem is filled. Verse two, and suddenly there came from heaven. Where did it come from? Heaven. A heaven, a sound like a mighty rushing wind. <sighs> okay, but more mighty. All right, that was my best wind impression. And it filled the entire house where they were sitting. So is the air conditioner broken? I mean, like, <sighs> okay. They didn't have air conditioner. I know that. Okay, yeah, that's inaccurate, Matt. I know. It's a joke. Verse three, it says this, and divided tongues as a fire appeared. If there was any question whether this was miraculous or of from God, the fire appeared. Wind, then fire, and divided tongues as of fire. So these flames, as much as you can say they look like flames, they also look like tongues. Okay, like, like your tongue, okay? Like, you know what I'm talking about, like, your tongue. I don't want to stick my tongue out at you, but you know what I'm talking about. The anatomy, your tongue. And divided tongues as a fire appeared and rested on each one of them in the room. Verse four, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Spirit comes from the word pneuma, and it means breath, wind. And so it's very interesting that the mighty wind comes. And there's going to be a play on words here with the wind and the breath and the tongue and the fire. And verse 4 says, And when we're all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, gave them utterance. Now, I know uh, all of us are thinking, where is he going to go with this? Okay, where is this going to take us? Because this has been some controversial passage. Just hold on for a second, because I want to note something. We need to understand something about God. Remember, I talked about knowing that friend and how great it is to know that friend. It's great. It's the greatest to know God. But here's the thing. Unless, we, unless our knowledge of God is dependent on Scripture, it's all based on our conjecture. And you know what happens when we brace our understanding of God off conjecture? We make God in our own image. But God is not in our image. We are made in his image. And so we have a book. We have the revelation of God through words, through men, given inspiration by the Holy Spirit of what God says. And so here's the thing. We cannot base our knowledge of God by what we think. What do we have to base our knowledge of God on? The teaching of scriptures. If not, we make God however we want to be. And those are the dumbest arguments you ever want to have. For example, you and I can talk about the aspects of this podium right here, okay? I went this, but this is not as good as this one, okay? Can't really see this. I moved here. This podium, if we both agree, if Tom and I are having a conversation about something and we both agree that this is a podium, then we can have a conversation. However, if Tom thinks, based on his reasoning, that this is actually a pink flamingo, our conversation isn't going to go too far. And basing your knowledge of God on your own opinion is as silly as thinking that this podium is a pink flamingo. You're going to end up all sorts of weird spots. And whatever you don't like is what God's not going to like. Whatever you like is what God's going to love. And that's, why we're, that's one of the many reasons we're in the mess in a culture where we are today. 
There's a, a definitive word of God about who he is. And I want you to know something about this. The God of the Bible, now this is not a Bible word, but it's a word we use to describe what we see in the Bible. The God of the Bible is, is Trinity. He's three in one. Now, I am going to do something today that I'm going to attempt to help explain the Trinity just a little bit because this is an unknowable thing completely, to understand the exhaustiveness of who God is. But you've heard this before. There's one God who exists eternally. So how many gods are there? One. He exists eternally. How long does that mean? He's always existed, okay? In three persons. The Father, who we've seen in the old, yeah, Father, Son, Holy, you guys went ahead of me, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, right? Okay, you got that. In fact, this is very important to this passage. You know why? Matthew 28 tells us what? You go out and make disciples, baptizing in the name of the Father, and the Holy Spirit, that was pretty weak. Let's try it again. In the name of the Father and the Holy Spirit, exactly right. So if we're supposed to baptize people in that name, shouldn't we understand that this is who God is? This is who our God is. And just like you could say, I mean, can you imagine, can you imagine if you asked me if I know my wife? I'd say, absolutely. And you, and you say, what's her favorite color? And I was like, I don't know. First off, I'm in trouble, okay? Secondly, what's her birthday? I'm not sure. I get you trouble. You ever been at the bank and they ask you that and you're like, I don't remember. Oh yeah, here it is. Okay. April 25th, 1981. That's her birthday. Okay. Um, I hope identity thieves do not listen to this. All right. <laughs> the, uh, <laughs> sorry, rabbit. The, the God of the Bible is, he, how do you know him? You know what's revealed about him through these facts, the facts have to become personal knowledge. But first of all, you have to understand the facts. Just like if someone said, I know my wife, do you know your wife? And I said, yeah, sure. And then I didn't know anything about her. It would be contrary to what I said. I love her though. You know anything about her? No, I don't know anything about her. So the knowledge of God is seen. I want to bring this up because we've looked and we've seen something. The there's been a progressive nature to the revelation, the revealing of who God is in three and one. A progressive revelation of the Trinity. In the Old Testament, we see God the Father. We see him speak, and what happens? <laughs> Creation. We see the people who he has called out for his, his purposes. We see them in Egypt. And what does he do? He hears their groanings, and he sends Moses, let my people go. Huh, okay? And, they, and then they move on. They walk through the Red Sea. And so you see the great and mighty God. And then you see that Jesus, we've looked at this time and again, that Jesus is God. How do you know Jesus is God? Well, look at all the miracles he did. Look at the fact that he claimed to be God in his teachings. Look at the fact that the Spirit came upon him at his baptism. Look at the fact that Jesus is God because he rose from the dead, and people don't do that. He's shown to be God. And now we have this right here. The Holy Spirit comes, and the Bible's very clear that the Holy Spirit coming. Note with me that it's sent from heaven, right? Jesus came from heaven to earth, right? The Holy Spirit comes from heaven to earth. How do I get that? Where do you get that from? Verse two, right here. Notice this, and it says, and suddenly, that's just without warning. He said it's coming, but we didn't know the time. It's kind of like his return. It just happens. And suddenly, there came, a he it came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. Where did it come from? Heaven. Where did it, and then what happened? It was like a mighty rushing wind. When you see God, in fact, in the book of Job, the book of Job in the Old Testament, how did God speak to Job? Out of a whirlwind. You also see different places where the, the wind, winds gushing or winds uh, fl uh, flowing and, and blowing represents the presence of God. 
you know, there's a term in insurance called an act of God. And so a lot of times your insurance policy will have something about act of God. Either they will cover you for an act of God or they won't. One of those things that's an act of God is a tornado. I mean, they're so powerful, and they come out of nowhere, and they just, they are amazing in their might. I want you to know, so there's a reason why we call those an act of God. It's because it is beyond us, and it shows us the power of who God is. And so wind in the Bible represents the presence and spirit of God many times. Now go on to verse 3. Verse 3 says, and divided tongues as a fire. God has shown up in fire all the time in the Old Testament for sure. What was it? When, what did the Israelites follow when they come out of Egypt? Cloud by day, pillar of fire by night. How crazy would that have been to see? You imagine, you know what a bonfire looks like? Texas A&M used to have this gigantic bonfire they used to do until it all fell over. I mean, like, that engineering students, they made this giant pyre. I can only imagine what it was like to be walking around. Because you're living in a time where there's no electric lights. Now, if you look at the world at nighttime, you can see amongst most of the developed world, you see, if you see, like, one of those aerial views, like, what do you see everywhere? Lights. But they didn't see that. In this, in this wilderness, what happens? God leading the way by fire. And so there's a representation here, that fire, that God's presence is coming down. So the Holy Spirit is seen as, the, as, as God. In verse 4 it says, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit, and they began to speak in tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. We're going to go there in a second, but here's what I want you to see. God exists eternally. And this is important because the greatest thing in life is to know and enjoy God. In fact, that is the chief end by which you were created to know God and enjoy him forever. That is why you exist, to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. God, know him. This is not about behavior modification and getting better, becoming a better you, having your best life now. It's not about that. You know what it is? It's coming to a knowledge of the holy. And nothing will change you like having an encounter with the God of the Bible. And so, I want you to get this. I want to, I want, this is from Wayne Grudem, a theologian. I want you to get this. There's three statements I want you to know about the Trinity that will help you understand the God that you, that you desperately need to love and enjoy and glorify forever. Three statements. I got them up here, and it's this. I want to do three things about the Trinity. Number one, God is in three persons, okay? Follow me. Why don't you say that with me? God is in three persons. Let's try that again. God is in three persons. The second truth you need to know is each person is God. Each person is God. Third one is there is one God. Let's say it together. There is one God. All of these statements to understand this doctrine and to be biblical, you have to believe all three of these things. If you go off on any of these three, you're into heresy, which means you're believing something that the Bible doesn't teach. You're in error, okay? So I want you to get this real quick. God is in three persons, okay? I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time on this, but I need you to know this, okay? The Father is not the Son, okay? God the Father is not the Son. We also see the Son is not the Father. They have different personhoods, okay? We also see this. The Spirit is not the Father or the Son and vice versa. You following me? We have to understand that. However, we have to know something else, that each person, Father, Spirit, and Son, is fully God. 
not half God, not want to be God, not, not sent from God, not they are all God. So that means the Father is God. I told, told you, we've seen that in the Old Testament. Creation, Exodus, all the big things he's done. Second thing is Jesus is God. How do we know Jesus is God? He told us, he taught with power, his great miracles, and he rose from the dead. Case closed, Jesus is God. Thirdly, Spirit is God. I showed you that in Acts. Obviously, the Spirit has come down from above. It has all the representations of, with fire and with, with wind of the, of the presence of God coming. Thirdly, we also see this, that remember, we're supposed to go out, right? Make disciples, followers of Jesus, baptizing in what? The, fa- the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Obviously, these three are all God. So note this, God is in three persons, that means the Father is not the Son, the Son is not the Spirit, the Son, Spirit is not the Father, on and on. They're all the three different persons, but they're all God. And there's only one God. The Bible teaches that. Deuteronomy 6, 4 and 5 says this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. When Jesus was asked, what's the greatest commandment? What do he say? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Those are the greatest commandments. All this the law and the prophet hinges on. Got you. So what is Jesus doing? He is referring back to this Deuteronomy passage, which right before it says what? There's only one God. Jesus claimed to be God. He showed himself to be God. So Jesus is obviously believing that there's one God. So here's the thing. This is a mystery, but it's what the Bible teaches. There is one God. He existed and always has existed eternally in three persons, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. They're all distinct, but they're all God, and there is only one God. Just know that. If you have a God you could put in a box, that's not the God of the Bible. If you have a God that you think you fully understand, that is not the God of the Bible. We only understand what he has revealed to us. And you know what we do by faith? We say, yes, God. You know why? Not because we trust ourselves, but we trust him. And he has, he has the right to say it. You know why? He sent, the father sent the son. The son submitted to death. And now he has empowered his church with the sending of the Holy Spirit. And you know what Jesus talked about before, all throughout his ministry? There will one day be a comforter, a spirit, the, the spirit of God, the paraclete, the one who'd come aside, the helper that would come. And now's the day. He said, you're gonna be my, when this Holy Spirit comes, you're gonna be my witnesses and you're gonna tell everybody about Jesus. Where? Start where you are in Jerusalem, go to Judea, go to Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the world. Are you talking about going to Pittsburgh? Yeah. Not exactly there. Pittsburgh didn't exist, but you know what I'm saying. Get, get the idea. You can ask any question. Where God, God, where do you want me to take the gospel? You name any place in the world. In fact, Kelly, name one place right now. Clarksville. You're supposed to take the gospel there. That's not too far. That's maybe foreign to us, but it's okay. Take the gospel there. Tom, tell me another place. Madagascar. I actually have some friends there right now taking the Jesus there. That's pretty cool. So thank you for mentioning that. It's not like the movie, by the way, okay? There's no talking animals. That is a place where the gospel is supposed to go. They're supposed to wait till the power of the Holy Spirit comes and then what? Take the gospel. Why? Because we have no power in and of ourselves. We had to wait to be empowered. And so I want you to get this. When the Spirit comes, this is the manifestation. This is the coming of the third person of the Trinity 
always existed. He is fully God, and he comes to set his people on fire for mission. I'm using that word fire figuratively, okay? But I want you to get this. I want you to see this. This is who our God is. He exists eternally in three persons, but also this. He's come to empower mission. Look in verse four, or actually, let's go back to this. So they're in the house, look in verse two, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. And, the, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. Obviously, the spirit has come, and they, it's indelible. They know it happened, okay? All right, there was a time in high school where I walked, it was, I, I went to high school in Panama City, Florida. It's, it's a hot place, okay? It's known for hot summers and beaches and all that kind of stuff, okay? So it was, it was springtime, and springtime here is like, I mean, it's freezing today, but it's nice. We don't re- I didn't realize what seasons were until I moved up here, really, I don't think, because it's like birds are chirping, it's 70 degrees, I'm not sweating, like, it's amazing, okay? And then, but in, 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 in April in Florida, it's a bazillion degrees, usually, Unless it's the week you go down to the beach and then it's freezing. Okay, that's just how it works, all right? Murphy's Law at that point. So we walked into this classroom and we were all wearing flip-flops and shorts and T-shirts because I wore that for, that was like my uniform for life, okay? I wore it everywhere. We walked into this classroom. The air conditioner in that classroom was busted. By busted, I don't mean it wasn't working. I mean it was blowing like a hurricane, and as soon as you walked in, our teacher had a box of cardigans. I don't know where she got it from. Maybe she went to the Lost and Found, and she's handing us jackets as we walked in. And we're, oh. We moved the seats out because the wind's blowing from this one vent in the center of the room, and it's blowing everywhere. It was very evident that the wind was blowing. Once you get this, the Spirit has come, and it's evident. Look on in verse 3. And, and divided tongues of fire, as of fire. So there's this fire appears. In divided tongues, it looks like a tongue on fire. And then look what happens. It appeared to them and it rested on each of them. The Holy Spirit, this is is evidence that the Holy Spirit is coming with power on each believer. Here is the amazing truth. You see it all throughout Scripture. You see this, this is foretold, that the, the people of God who have been born again, the Spirit, of God indwells each of them and empowers each person. We are, as believers in Christ, this is a weird truth, but we are indwelt by the Spirit of God. He rests upon us and He empowers us and He points us to truth. And it's what Jeremiah was talking about, the law of God being written on our hearts. One of my favorite preachers, one of the guys who was um, instrumental in me growing up was a guy by the name of Neil McClendon. Um, if you know me for a while, Neil is one of those guys that uh, he just, God used to really speak truth into my life. And there was this great story that he told that he went to a masseuse and the masseuse was rubbing his back. And she's like, you don't have any stress at all. And he started, he started thinking about it. And he's like, I don't really, there's two ways to go when you're getting a massage. Okay. You talk to the person or you pretend you're asleep. Okay. And so he went, was thinking pretend you're asleep way, but he said, I'm going to talk to this lady because she brought up this. And he goes, he looks at her and he says, I don't have any stress because uh, I got someone living inside of me. And she's like, oh my gosh, he was talking about the spirit, but she took it like, holy shnikes. Okay. No more talk after that. If you want to get out of our conversation, maybe you go with that. But here's the idea. <laughs> I got someone living inside of me. The Holy Spirit in this tongue of fire. Now, it's a tongue, right? 
what's going to happen in verse 4, they're going to speak in a tongue, in a, in a different tongue. This should be separated, by the way, from the tongues that's talked about in 1 Corinthians 12 through 14. It's a different type of tongue. We could talk about that some other time. But this is, this is a tongue right here, this tongue of fire, and it represents and it shows that the Spirit of God is coming upon the people of God, those who have been redeemed and born again by God. The Spirit is coming into that person to live there forever and to empower them for witness. How do you see the empowerment of witness? You don't have to look any further than verse 4. Look at this. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit indwelling presence of God. Okay? The believer has the indwelling presence of God. That's why we don't have a conscience. We have the Spirit convicting us of sin, guiding us to truth, empowering our speech and our talk and our witness. In verse 4, he says this, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. I'm going to show you. I believe this is what happens here, um, and this, this, this is, can be controversial, but I think the, the, the context backs it up. Here's what happens. The Holy Spirit comes upon them and empowers them to witness. Here's what happens. They're not speaking in some ecstatic language. They are going to speak in known languages to people in their heart native language. You wanna, here's the evidence of that in the preceding verses. Look in verse 5. And it says this, now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation on heaven and earth. Why were they there? For the big party, the big feast, the big religious feast. So people from everywhere are there. This is God's timing. Because he's, he's showing up and showing out, okay? In verse 6 it says this, and at this sound the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. This sound of the rushing wind was so loud, people came outside and were like, what is going on? That's what it says. Now, when we lived in Louisville, we had a lot of things that happened to us while we were in seminary. There was an earthquake in Louisville. We had snowstorms that took out the power. Thank God, we would have died. We were from Florida. We didn't know what cold was. It snowed. Blizzard came, took down the power lines. Our house did not lose power. We had people coming from all, can we get warm at your house? Yes, because the Lord has blessed us greatly because we are sunshine state people and we are in the midst of cold, okay? And he has given us electricity. Hallelujah, thank you, Jesus, okay? And so this has happened. And then, why before we were leaving? I can't make this up. They called this thing that happened a wind monster. I don't think that's a technical term, but that's what our news was calling it. I'm like, wind monster? This sounds awful. I was out driving. Amy was sick. I was driving home from church on a Sunday afternoon, and what happened is a hurricane had come up through the Gulf and had broken up, but it was still, it wasn't hurricane force winds, but it was still, it was still a pretty good-sized storm. And then an Arctic blast from Canada, thanks, Canada, came down and hit the hurricane and created hurricane force winds in Louisville, Kentucky. I'm driving home from church. I went and get some food from KFC because, you know, that's just what you do. I guess I need a chicken after church. I mean, I Baptist preacher stereotype, okay? So I'm coming, coming back, and I saw a tree split a car. Not like in half, but like fall and go in between those. I got home. Everybody was like, you guys hear what's going on? I mean, like walking in the house, and people poked their head out. This mighty rushing wind was going on, and it created quite the scene. And that is exactly what happens when the Spirit comes. He is, it's, not, it's not supposed to be hidden. It's for every world to see. And there's people from all over every nation. And Jesus is going to give them a head start on their mission. And what happens is the Spirit comes, and people from all over every nation are hearing that there is this like tornado localized in this apartment right by the temple and they walk out like, what is going on? Have you ever lived in an apartment? You probably thought your neighbor above you had like elephants in their apartment. 
You ever had somebody, if you're shared a wall, somebody's cranking up a chainsaw at like two o'clock? Okay. Maybe you had a bass player or a drummer next to you, like boom, boom, like 3 30 in the morning. We gotta practice sometime, bro. Thought you'd be asleep. This is happening that God is getting their attention. And so what happens? The sound of the uh, at this sound, the multitude, the crowded streets, the Gatlinburg streets came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in their own language. And verse 7 says, and they were amazed and astonished, saying, are these people not Galileans? Now, here's what I think's happened. Gal- the, the people from Galilee, they were all, most of them were fishers, fishermen or, agricult- or into agriculture, and they were seen by most people as kind of the rednecks of this area, Okay. Have you ever heard somebody speak Spanish in a country accent? Hola, como estas? Now, the Bible says this is a miracle of the Spirit coming. And I believe what has happening here is not a miracle of hearing, it's a miracle of speech that these guys who formerly did not know a language began being empowered by the Holy Spirit to accomplish the purposes by which God had given them. He gave them a, the utterance and the knowledge of a different language. Rosetta Stone, not required, Okay. And they spoke this language to people, but more than likely, since they recognized them as Galileans, they either recognized them because they were with Jesus or they recognized them because of their accents. That is just a speculation, but I can imagine. You imagine a language spoken with a, with a, a, a foreign language spoken with a southern drawl, okay? Sounds weird, right? Aren't these guys Galileans? How do they know all these languages? These are rednecks, okay? And so here's what God does. God can use anybody, and, and they said, aren't, in verse 8 it says, and how is it that we hear each of us in our own native language? More evidence that this tongues here in this passage is speaking of a foreign language of the Spirit. It's a miraculous thing. It's like me coming out here speaking French. You could tell I wouldn't, I'm not French, but I'd be speaking the language if the Spirit moved in that direction. And then we see in verse 9, it goes, in verse 9 through 11, it talks about everybody was there. I'm not going to read that list again. You can go home and read it, but there's a lot of people from a lot of places, from a lot of different languages, and God is bringing the gospel of Jesus to them. And people were like, what is going on? I'm amazed. Some are like, this is the works of God. Some are like, they're drunk. Okay? And I want you to get this. It's very evident from this passage. Jesus told them to wait for the power of God through the person of the Holy Spirit so that their witness, what he told them to do, their witness to what Jesus had done, his death, burial, and resurrection, and what that means. He is empowering them to be witnesses. It's evident by the flames of fire on them. It's evident by the fact they're speaking in these other tongues and that he has brought the nations to them so they can share the gospel. I want you to know something, church. The Spirit of God still lives in the church and it indwells each believer of Jesus Christ and it empowers us to share and to be a witness with power. Power. You know what that means? That we should not be afraid or ashamed to proclaim Jesus. And we should not go around thinking, well, what is my testimony? I, I don't have that great of a testimony. I don't know a whole lot of the Bible. Do you, know about, do you know about who Jesus was? Do you have a story of his grace? Then you have a message. But man, mine is not as great as yours. And you, man, you went to seminary, man, and you know this. I, I don't care. Here's the thing. God empowers the preaching of the gospel through his church, through his spirit. And so our little words our measly tiny words, the, the, the message that we proclaim that through weak, broken people has great power. 
January, January of 1850, a snowstorm hit London. And as the tale goes, this little primitive Baptist church on Artillery Street, or a, pr a primitive Methodist church, I'm sorry, on Artillery Street in London, was populated with just a handful of people who came out in the blizzard. And one of the deacons was surprised to find out that the pastor had not made it in yet, and it was service time. So as <laughs> he was kind of the guy in charge, do you know what he did? He scrambled for a message. It was one of those like, God, <laughs> help, okay? The 15-year-old boy who had been struggling, been brought up in church, but had been struggling with faith and saw his great sin and needed his need for a Savior, but had not yet come to saving faith in Christ, was going heading to a different church, but the snowstorm got so bad, this 15-year-old poked his head into this primitive Methodist church where this unprepared deacon got up and read Isaiah 45:22, Look unto me and be saved, all the ends of the earth, for I am God and there is no one else. Upon hearing this scripture and the words of this deacon, this young boy repented of his sins and put his faith in Jesus Christ. His name was very popular and very known. His name was Charles Spurgeon. He told the story, and he was the great Baptist preacher, one of the greatest Baptist preachers of all time in the 1800s and saw thousands upon thousands come to Christ. He's influenced preacher upon preacher upon preacher. He's known as the Prince of Preachers. And it all started with an unprepared deacon speaking the word of God. You don't think that there's power in the word and that God's spirit indwells his people? God used an unprepared, nameless, we don't know his name, deacon, to save one of the greatest evangelists and preachers of all time. And we still don't know that guy's name to preach the sermon. Think about some of the best speeches in history that you've ever heard. You may go to Lincoln's Gettysburg Address, four score and seven years ago. You've heard that one before, right? You may think about JFK when he said, ask not what your country can do for you, but what you can do for your country. William Wallace and Braveheart, that's not true. I just want to say this one. They may take our lives, but they'll never take our freedom, okay? That's not true. That, never, that was all made up. This one is, though, and I want to read this to you just real quick because, I mean, this is some powerful words. I say to you today, my friends, though even though we face the difficulties of today and tomorrow, I still have a dream. It is a dream deeply rooted in the American dream. I have a dream that one day this nation will rise up and live out the true meaning of its creed. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal. I have a dream that one day on the red hills of Georgia, sons of former slaves and sons of former slave owners will be able to sit down together at the table of brotherhood. I have a dream that one day, even the state of Mississippi, a state sweltering with the heat of injustice, sweltering with the heat of oppression, will be transformed into an oasis of freedom and justice. I have a dream that my four little children will one day live in a nation where they will not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. MLK, man, talking about the evils of racism. How great of a speech was that? But it has nothing on the gospel proclaimed by spirit and dwelt people. 
because the gospel can raise the dead. The spiritual dead come to life through the power of the Spirit and the preaching of the gospel. The good news, the witness of what Christ has done. That is power, just like Ezekiel 37, where he told, where Ezekiel is in front of the dry bones, and the Lord says, speak to the dry bones, preach to the dry bones, and he does, and they begin to rattle, and then the wind blows, right? We've seen this idea, what happens to the wind? It blows, and what happens? The bones connect, and flesh goes on this on these, these dead bodies, and they come together in flesh, and then their hearts begin to beat, and that is the gospel. When we hear the good news that we were once dead in our sins, but Christ came as a substitute, bearing the wrath that we owed, the wrath that was due because of our sins, and he bore that, and he rose, and in him, in our faith in him, we can be made right with God, and we can be made alive by the Spirit. That is more powerful than the greatest speeches on earth because it is a God word. It's a word from God empowered by his people. The church, believer, you may not think you got much, but little in the hands of an almighty God can go far greater than you can imagine. Remember that kid who handed over his happy meal and 5,000 people were fed? Let's give him your tongue and see what happens. Let's give a little witness and see what goes down. If I have a dream, as great as that was, it doesn't have power like the gospel preached through people who are set fire, set on fire and indwelt by the Spirit of God. Now, you won't believe me. I want to show you this. We're going to finish with this. In verse 14, Peter stands up in the crowd with the 11, and he lifted his voice, and he addressed him. He said, hey, men of Judea, and, and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known, and give ear to what I'm saying. For these people are not drunk. Clarification. As you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day, and then he goes into this explanation of what had happened, and we get to verse 36, and Peter preaches this sermon to these people, probably being translated like United Nations by all the other people speaking other languages. I don't know what that's like. You know, UN, you know, where they all got the little headpiece on, and everybody's getting in their different language? It's what's happening. God is making sure the word goes out. And what happens at the end of this? Now, this is a crowd who just several days later had been involved, especially the people in Jerusalem, had been involved in what? The crucifixion of Christ. And they, they chanted before the Passion Week, the beginning of Passion Week, they said, Hosanna! And then they chanted what? Give us Barabbas! Crucify him! And he goes to the scripture and shows how Jesus is the fulfillment and that their speaking in tongues at this point is the fulfillment of the Spirit coming that was prophesied in the Old Testament. And then he gets to this place, and he said, let all of those of the house of Israel therefore know. This is a very tough sermon he preaches because he says, for, for certain that God has made him, Jesus, both Lord and the Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Their sin is evident because they crucified the very Son of God. Do you know how that's the greatest sin in history? Killing the perfect Son of God, if that's not injustice, what is? mankind's darkest moment where they crucified the Son of God. Now, it was according to the plan of God and purposes of God, but it was still wickedness. And he says, this Jesus whom you crucified is the Messiah. Then what happens? Verse 37. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. This precedes saving faith. It's part of it that you have deep, utter 
conviction over sin. You see your great need. You see your great sin. You know that there is nobody that can help you because you have offended a holy God. But praise be to God, he came in our place, and that's what the good news is coming. They were cut to the heart. They heard this, they, in verse 37, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart, and they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, everyone in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And so it says in verse 41, so those who received this word were baptized, and they were added that day 3,000 souls. 3,000 people were saved. You can imagine if 3,000 people were saved in Hartsville, that would almost be the entire county. And I want you to know something. The power of God can do way more than we ever think or ask. And so what I'm asking us to do, church, is to enjoy and know the God of the Bible who exists eternally in three persons and who has indwelt us with the Spirit of God. And I want you in that knowledge, I want you to live in that knowledge. What? Walk in the Spirit. What does that mean? Walk in submission to God. Part of walking in submission to God is this, opening your mouth, knowing that you are empowered to witness. And here's a word for those of you who may be coming for a while and you're starting to experience deep conviction for your sin. You are in grave danger. The wrath of God is upon you. You have sinned. And you've fallen short of the glory of God everyone has. When the Bible is clear that he has laid upon him, Jesus, the sin, the iniquity of all of us. And when these people were cut to the heart, they said, what shall we do to be saved? And what does Peter say? Walk it out, pray a prayer, sign this card. No, what does he say? Repent, turn from your sin, believe, then what? Be baptized. Baptism is the outward reaction or the outward action that shows the inner reality that you have turned from your sins, you believe in Christ and he has made you new. And so we are going to have, May 8th, a baptismal service here. Now, to this point, we haven't had anybody approach us about baptism. But I want you to know something. We believe the gospel is real, true. There may be somebody here who is coming to, who has come to life and has, has heard the gospel, has been cut to the core, has heard and has repented of their sins and has believed. And they want to express that in baptism. I want to give you this. Sometimes it can be hard in a church that is not usual to learn how to connect and learn how to express your faith in Christ. We want to make that easy for you, and we want to make that evident to these people what God is doing. So if you're interested in that, find one of the elders. Tom's down here. Kevin's right over here. I'm right here. Come find us if you want to talk about baptism. That's coming up. We're having a baptismal service on Mother's Day, May 8th. Don't you wish that you could just throw down and share the gospel. Sometimes I have a dream that I just shared the gospel like a, like a, like a beast with somebody, okay? I'm like, I'm, I'm, I'm just really sharing the gospel with them, and it's like, it's, and they're just, like, they're ready to repent and believe, and like, where can we get baptized? And I'm like, let's go to McDonald's. I don't know why I said McDonald's. Let's go to this creek, okay, and I'll dunk you, okay? I, I, I sometimes just dream like that, and I want you to know something. It does not rest within our power to save someone. 
It is a work of the Spirit of God through the Word of God. Salvation belongs to God. But we, as His people and His plan, as His church, get to be involved with people coming to life as we share the good news. And here's the thing. Though you may not be able to make a great speech, though you don't have to start with a great line like, I have a dream, the gospel is enough, so just open your mouth and speak it. You know why? The Spirit of God works in the people of God to accomplish the works of God for the glory of God, and we get to know God in the process, and it is awesome. Church, let's go together and enjoy God being empowered by His Spirit for mission. Let's pray. God, you're good. Your love endures forever. You're faithful when we are faithless. Let us open our mouth and our eyes and our hearts to all you are. May we be led by the Spirit. May we walk in the Spirit. May we not quench the Spirit. Let us live lives of mission. And God, those who are not here, who are those who are here who are dead in their sins, God, cut their hearts. Bring faith. Let them repent. Believe and profess in baptism. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.